childhood was always great services, camp meetings and conferences alike across this country where men would stand behind the pulpit and deliver the word of God and break the bread of life. And at a very early age, receiving the Holy Ghost at six years old, men have left an indelible mark upon my life that I will never forget. And I tell you as parents this morning that never underestimate the power of preaching in your children's lives. You know, sometimes I believe that children hear more than the parents hear. Um, we was asking uh, Judah, my four-year-old boy, uh, what did he learn in Sunday school? And of course, uh, the Sister Jessica, the four- and five-year-old teacher, was teaching on repentance. And she went down the row one by one saying, now is there anything that y'all would like to repent of, trying to teach them how to repent? And, uh, and her son uh, said, uh, Caden said, well, I'd repent, but I haven't done anything wrong. <laughs> Praise God. Well, the altar's open today. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I believe Judah said something else like that. He, he doesn't need to repent because he's perfect. That's right. That's what he said. He said, I'm perfect. I don't need to repent. So your children are hearing more than what you think they hear on these bus routes in Sunday school. We haven't run this morning. We'll be running next Sunday morning. So we want everybody to be back on track for that. And we're just expecting God to do great things, expecting more people to be added to the kingdom. So at a very young age, I remember Brother Gary Strevel preaching in this pulpit and, and pulpits across the country. And I'll never forget some of the great and powerful messages in his delivery and how it affected my life, leaving an indelible mark upon me. And still, I anchor back to some of those services on Sunday mornings, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights when I step into the pulpit. So I thank God for good men in my life. Praise the Lord. Isn't it strange how princes and kings and clowns that caper and sawdust rings and common people like you and me are shapers of eternity. And each is given a book of rules, a shapeless mass, and a bag of tools. And each must fashion their life be flown, a stumbling block or a stepping stone. That book of rules is the word of God. The bag of tools is the ministry, and that shapeless mass is what you and I were before a man of God shaped and molded us into perfect people and saints in the house of God. Praise God. So without further ado, I want my good friend, Brother Strebel, to come this morning and take his liberty and preach the Word of God to us. God bless you, brother. Preach to us what's on your heart. Thank you, Pastor. God bless you. Thank you, man. Thank you, Brother Spell. Praise the Lord, everybody. You may be seated. I'm happy to be here and, uh, as St. Paul said, to speak for myself. I'm so grateful that God has done so many wonderful things in my life through the years that I can't help but say thanks to him first. 
And I'm so glad for the rich things that he's added unto me, and certainly uh, for his many, many blessings. It's good to be here in this uh, 50th Jubilee celebration. I have absolutely enjoyed this meeting up to this point. And I am so thankful that I'm a part of this 50th celebration. I'm honored to be here, and it's certainly a remarkable moment. I don't know two people that I love and respect more than I do Bishop Spell and Sister Spell. They're the very, two very finest people, I think, that I've ever come to know. And not only because of their kindness and generosity, but because I sense in both of them to be good, solid Christians. I appreciate their Christianity, don't you? And the support that they have given to many, many people around the country, the missionaries, both foreign and, and, uh, and home missions. I run into preachers on occasions, and they have let me know of how much the work of God that they're doing has been a part of Brother and Sister Spell. And I was in, I was in Texas, I believe it was, some months ago, and a man told me that if it hadn't have been for Brother Spell and Sister Spell and this church family, there wouldn't be a church in his city. And so your, your, uh, your name goes around the world. And uh, there's no one, I don't believe, that has a vision that can surpass what has already been done in this church in the last 50 years. And so I commend you very much. It's just a wonderful treat to be standing here, and uh, I was, throughout this meeting, I've been trying to put this puzzle together this last 50 years, and I, uh, I've learned so much. I, I didn't know that God healed cows, but uh, I found out he's got a reason for healing cows at times. Um, I wanted to go back. A lady asked me to pray for a cat, and I wouldn't do it, but I'm sorry I didn't do it now. She may have been one to the Lord, who knows. But what a beautiful, beautiful picture these past 50 years have made for this church. And I respect you very much. And uh, I love Brother Spell, his tremendous ministry. And uh, he's a wise man. I, I guess I, I was trying to think in my mind, I guess one of the wisest choices... I believe the bishop has made for this church is the selection of Brother Tony Spell. I don't think he could have I don't think he could have found any better man. And then his wonderful good wife, we're just so happy for both of them. I uh I like what I see in him. I like what I hear from him. I like the way they talk. My wife was telling me some of the things that, that she had said to her just recently. And uh, it's very obvious they have 
they've got it. They just got their act together. And uh, I appreciate them so much. I, I, uh, I, I don't know why sometimes it takes us so long to transfer our respect or to give our respect to young men and women. Um, I went to the schoolhouse the other day uh, with to for my uh, granddaughter, my uh, granddaughter. I think the first grade, and I approached her teacher. I didn't know who she was, and but I saw I saw uh, Brian there, and uh, she stuck her hand out. And she said, "I'm Mrs. Johnson," and I I thought she didn't hardly look too much older than the students. But uh, I said, well, Mrs. Johnson, it's nice to meet you. I really think that it would be good for us as a church family not to address them as Tony and Shay, but it's brother and sister Spell. And I don't know why we struggle with that, but it seems to be, I think the only persons that should be allowed to do that is the bishop and his wife. That would probably be the only exception because uh, of their, the nature of their position here. But I think all the rest of us, you would do well to, to give your loyalty and your regard and respect. Not wait for them to earn it. They've already shown they've earned it by the wisdom that this man has selected them. And... I just, uh, I just believe that God wants to do great things for this church. I, I see, can I say, I see the bishop right here. I see you, I see you and you together. You're so much alike. And uh, what a legacy. And this church is so blessed. You couldn't have gotten a better man to lead you than this man right here. And this woman right here. And uh, if you want to do yourself a favor and do your family a favor and have the favor of God upon your life, show them respect. I remember back when I first started my church, I got a lady in church. She was, she was well, I thought she was ancient, but now I'm reconsidering those thoughts. Um, but some 30 years ago and she was in her 60s and she said to me she said you know she said I don't know what it is but I know you're I'm about I'm about two and a half times your age or somewhere thereabouts a couple of times your age but she said you're like a father to me and that's the way God wants to make it he wants to make your pastor like he's somebody that can lead you and his wife. And if you'll do that, you'll find the favor of God following you and blessing you. Is that all right? You say, well, I'm too old to change. Well, you need to get over it and change. This is a good man and a good lady. Well, um, I uh, appreciate all these these good men here. I uh, uh Appreciate coming to Baton Rouge. I, I was trying to think back last night when I first uh, came. It was during a conference, 
It was an AMF conference. And I don't know if it was our first time or not, but it may have been my wife's first visit here. And we, we hadn't heard much about hurricanes. We know about tornadoes, but we didn't know anything about hurricanes. And I remember when we went to the motel, and all the, there was lots of preachers there at the motel. And uh, we went in, and I took the luggage up, unlocked the door. My wife was a nervous wreck. She wanted to go back home. She uh, didn't know about this hurricane. Her mother was still living then, and she didn't help the situation. She was telling her how terrible hurricanes were. She could be killed down here and could be the end of us. And it was, uh, she just was a weather worry wart. And um, I remember taking, uh, going down to get the luggage. When I came back up, the door was open. My wife had the television on. This is a preacher's conference. I said, my Lord, what are you doing? She said, I want to know what's going on down here. I said, well, this is a preacher's conference. At least she could have waited until there's no preachers around. And so I never will forget one of our first visits here. My wife was watching television. Pray for us, all right? Anniversaries are times to recollect our memories, and I have certainly enjoyed every memory that I have heard from this place. It's good to see these mighty men on my right. I didn't expect some of them to be here, but uh, it's good to see all of these preachers. Brother Duplessis, I love you and respect you. Brother Hare, you're, you're a great man, and I highly respect you and your wife and family as well. We've heard some mighty good preaching around here. I, uh, I'm glad we're not in competition. I'd, I'd have went home. Um, first night, let God arise, and then the dance has not been canceled, and I won't forget those messages, I promise you. And then I'm looking so much forward to hear my friend tonight, Brother Ballestero, what a tremendous preacher he always is. And so it's just... Uh, a wonderful treat to be here in this service and uh, to be in this meeting. And I certainly am going to try my very best today to be a blessing to you. Now, Brother Spell told me already that they eat at 12. But he kind of had that grin on his face, so I, I, uh, uh, I know he don't like long sermons. I know he don't like them. But he's not the he's not the pastor anymore, so I got it. <laughs> I came up with that one pretty quick. Um, good to see my children here. Uh, one of them, uh, my daughter. Where you at, Julie? I saw you earlier. There you are. And uh, my wonderful son-in-law. I couldn't ask for any better son-in-law than him. I have three son-in-laws. And uh, they're just like my own boys, and uh, I, I, uh, I respect them. I've never seen them have an argument. If they did, they didn't do it around me. I've seen different messages that they sent to each other. I saw one the other day. My pic- they messed with my wife's phone, and uh, I saw where uh, 
Brother Hare was calling in, and it said, uh, your gay son-in-law. And so I tried to figure out what, how that came about, and it was my other son-in-law that put that in there. And then I couldn't wait to see what his was, and it wasn't very good. I won't even tell you what it said. It was just, but they get along so well. And I certainly love my daughter. I'm proud of her. And my grandkids. Jace, stand up, everybody. Let them see you. Love Jace. Juliana. Where you at, Juliana? On the front. There you are, darling. You're so beautiful. And uh, I'm certainly glad to see them again. Well, I, uh, I get the privilege of addressing this local congregation. I, I thought perhaps originally that um, there would be quite a few uh, sinners here or guests here that would be here. But um, I'm kind of glad it's like this. I, uh, I want to try and help us as a church. I got a little message here I want to give to you. And uh, particularly give support to your pastor and his good wife and to this bishop and his wife. I, uh, I am absolutely 100% convinced that this church is going in the right direction. So I want to make that very clear at the outset, that I, I don't think there's anything that I could come and try to say you need improvement on. I have no suggestions for that. But I am convinced that you're not all headed in the right direction. There's a few of you that need some help. And I have to admit, you're my target for today. I'm going to try to talk to you. I'm going to try to help you. So I hope what I have to say will be received. I hope you'll accept it. I hope you'll practice it. I hope you'll put it in place. I'm reading from the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis, and... I'm reading a few scriptures that I feel will establish what I want to talk about for the next few minutes, and I'll try not to hold you very long. The book of Genesis, chapter 12, and I want to read three verses here, and then I want to go to chapter 13 which will be right beside it, so you won't have any problem there. Genesis chapter 12 and verse number, uh, verse number 6, 7, and 8. Listen very carefully. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the, place, unto the plain of Morah, And the Canaanites was there in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent having Bethel, I want you to notice this, 
having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Now in chapter 13, I want to read the first four verses. They're not very long, so listen very carefully as I read them. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him unto into the south. Everybody say south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold, and he went on his journeyings from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where he, where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, and unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And I'm particularly interested in the last half of verse number three, and it says, unto the place where his tent had been from the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. And my subject this morning is the place between. Everybody say the place between. I know it's not uh, homiletically correct to do this, but I'm going to do it anyhow, since we're not into homiletics. And most of you don't even know how to spell it. So, um, but let me, let, me, let me choose a subtopic as well. In Isaiah chapter 39 and in verse number 4, Isaiah 39 and verse number 4, and it says, Then said he, What have they seen in thine house? Then said he, What have they seen in thine house? And I want to preach for a little bit on the subtopic, What have they seen in thine house? The place between, and what have they seen? In thine house. You may be seated. The place between and what have they seen in thine house? As you review and follow the life and manner of this man, Abram you'll come to understand some very important facts about this man and his early beginnings. Some things about how that God can take a man and bless him, all because the man desires to please God. The man's life can, if you read it and study it, can be a benefit to all that are sitting in this building. As we look back from the text that I just read from, and I read from Genesis chapter 12 and 13, we, we find that Abram, 
uh, is living in a place that he ought not to be. He's living in the wrong place. Abram is living with his family in a city named Haran. And the inhabitants of Haran, if you study it, we know that it was an idolatrous practicing place. It was a place, it was the center of the infamous God called sin. And I can tell you that no man can live in sin city and stay sanctified long. He tried, but he had a difficult time. Abram and his brethren, and a brother of his, and his father, and his wife, and his nephews, his nieces, his entire family lived in this wicked and idolatrous city called Haran. And the Bible tells us that his father had died, Abram's father. And he died in Haran, and shortly after his death, the Lord spoke to Abram and said, Abram, he said it very clear and precise. He said, I want you to get up, and I want you to get out of Haran. I want you to get away from the ungodly place of paganism, the friends that you've been associating with, and your relatives. And if you do that, I'll give you a better land. I'll make something great of you, and I'll make you a great nation, and I'll make your name great. And you'll not only be blessed, but you'll be a blessing to all generations that will follow you. I will send blessings on those who bless you, and those who do good to you, I'll do good to them. And those who curse you, I'll curse them. And whatever they try to curse you with, I'll reverse the curse and bring it back on them. That's how good I'm going to be to you. And he said, your seed will prosper, and I'll bless your posterity and those that come after you. I'm telling you, my friends, that would be a good lesson for all of us to learn and understand. Before God can bless us, we've got to get out, we've got to get up and get out of the land of sin that we're in. There is no way possible that God can bless us if we don't remove ourselves from the things that are so pulling on us and attracting us day by day. If you want to be blessed, the first primary lesson that you need to learn from the lesson of Abram and Sarah is to get up from the world of sin and remove yourself and get far from the idolatrous practices and ways of the pagans. Remove yourself from family and friends that cause you to turn back and cause you to be weak in Christ. 
That's if we really want to be blessed. If you don't want to be blessed and you want to struggle and find difficulties in living for God, then stay where you're at. You'll find out that living for God will always be a struggle. Can I get an amen? amen. A lot of people in church today wonder why they're not blessed and blessed of God. Well, it's pretty easy to figure out. It's where they're living. You got to remove yourself. You got to get out of the sin world that you're in. You cannot stay in sin. You cannot stay in where there's ungodliness and expect God to bless you. You got to get up and get out from the sin life that you're in. Well, I want to get out of Haran, don't you? And oh, they, they heard the promises like that they had heard when they were uh, in this land of sin. And, and Abram was struggling and he had a hard time, like many of us sometimes have a hard time. But you cannot mess with false doctrine. You cannot hang around false religion and false ways of the world and expect to stay strong in Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you want to be strong in the Lord, and you want to be courageous in God, and you want God to bless you, you got to first of all get up and get out of Sin City. And so we're told in chapter 12 and verse number 4 that Abram, Abram departed from Haran. And as he should, he, uh, the Lord spoke to him and said, Get up and take thy wife and thy wife Sarah and some of your family members. And a few, he took a few of his converts and they followed him out of that wicked city. Amen. God has got some promises for you and I. But first of all, we've got to get up and get out and remove ourselves far from sin. There's folks right in this building tonight. You've struggled a long time. Some of you new converts. You're going to learn up front that if you want to be strong, you've got to go around where strong people are. You can't hang around the old crowd you used to hang around and be strong in Christ. They'll suck the strength right out of you. They'll suck your joy right out of you. They'll take your Holy Ghost away from you if you allow it to happen because you got to get up and get out from the place of sin. Amen. Everybody said amen. And so some folk do not know how to turn, how to turn their bad situation around. But friend, God can turn your situation completely around. If you can make it up in your mind, you're going to get up and get out of a place called Haran. And so we come down in the scriptures from which I read from this morning. Abram crosses over into Canaan. And... He goes through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plains of Morah. 
And then notice what, it, what is said. And the Canaanites was there in the land. Anytime you want to live for God, you make up your mind, you're going to get out of where you're at and going to do right. It always seems like that you face the giants. The Canaanites were the giants. And when they got up and left, they came out of that land and they traveled as God told them to, but they met the giants. You start living for God and you're going to face some giants. But don't worry, God has promised to take care of you. If you just get up and get out and stay out, you're going to find out that God is going to be on your side when the Canaanites come around. How many glad for God's promises? And then the Lord appeared unto Abram and confirmed again that he was going to bless him and his seed and give them the land that they had come to. And after God makes the promises, Abram builds an altar unto the Lord. And then, then he moves on and pitches his tent. His tent was his dwelling place. And that's the place where Abram slept. That's where he ate. That's where he shaved and bathed and rested. That's where his clothes were hanging. That's where his family united together. There are two things that I want you to notice about this. Number one is where Abram pitched his tent. And secondly, what he did after he pitched his tent. Verse number 12, chapter 12, verse 8. And Abram pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Now, listen to me carefully when I say this, because I'm going to just say this real quickly if I can. When Abram established his tent, or his home, the Bible says that Bethel was on his west, and Ai was on the east. On Abram's right hand was the house of God. That's what Bethel is. On his left hand was Ai. It was the world. It was sin. It was the ungodliness of the society that he lived in. Amen. Ai represents the world. Amen. There's very little said in the Bible about Ai, but its meaning holds a lot of definition. Ai means ruin, or uh, it means uh, total destruction. Historian, historians say that it was a wicked place. It was a place of abomination, and it was set for destruction. Ai is representative of the world. My friend, the church is on our right hand, and the world is on our left, and our, and our home is in the middle. Amen. I'm telling you, one of these days, God's going to destroy this world. He's going to destroy AI. You don't have any hope in AI. You don't have any hope in the world, because God's going to destroy it one of these days. Oh, I thank God I'm in the church. Aren't you glad you're in the church? Abram pitched his tent or his home between Bethel and Ai. 
And may, I just want to put it in our own language and our own understanding. Abram pitched his tent between the church and the world. Between the house of God and the world. He pitched it between heaven and hell. He pitched it between life and death. Between being saved or lost. Between hope and destruction. And AI was a terrible place. And the house of God was a safe place. I am convinced tonight with all of my heart this morning that without any shadow of a doubt that the church is better now than it's ever been. I have never seen the church as strong as it is today. The church is alive. It's well. Amen. It's a wonderful place to bring your children and to live for God. Thank God for the church. Are you glad for the church this morning? Come on, somebody lift your hands and thank God for the church. Praise God. And the world, my friend, is a terrible place. And he pitched his tent between Ai and, and he pitched it between Bethel. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the world is beckoning every one of us. The world is doing its best to call for every one of us. And if you're in this place this morning, you, you felt the powers of darkness try to create a place for you to be destroyed. But thank God for the church that saves us and keeps us strong. I want you to notice what Abram did after that he pitched his tent between Bethel and Ai. In verse number 8 it says, And there, this place between Bethel and, and uh, Ai, is where he builded an altar under the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. Abram had already built an altar at Bethel. you got to have an altar at church, but you got to have an altar at home. Everybody said amen. How many glad you got an altar at this church? Most of you, you can point to the place. Maybe not this building, but you can go to the place where you first saw the light. And you better have an altar here, but you better have one at home. Amen. Abram had already built an altar at Bethel, the house of God, and now he's building an altar in his home. Now, I, now, now I'm, I'm going to get very close to us. I believe that one of the major reasons that we're losing so many of our children is because we got a good church to go to, and we've got a good place to come and bring our children. But our problem is not the church. The problem is the home. Amen. And we're, we're seeing a lot of our kids come in. They're getting saved. But we're losing them. And we're losing them to the world because we haven't got the place between straightened out. When we get the place between taken care of, where our tent is at, where our home is at, the church will take care of itself. I don't believe it's the church's fault that we are losing so many of our young people. I have never in all my life heard such good preaching in church. Never. I, I, I'm hearing the best preaching. I, I think in all, I've been around the church for a while now, 50 some years being saved. 
And I can tell you this, I have never heard such good preaching like we heard the first night and last night. I'm telling you, God's given us preaching. He's given us a strong church. I have, I have never seen the church as strong as it is right now. I have never seen the church in such good health as I'm seeing it right now. And I don't believe, I don't believe it's the church's fault that we're losing our young people and that we're losing people. I believe it's the, it's the place between is where we're having the problems. Our singing's better than ever. Our choirs are better than ever. Our special songs are better than ever. Amen. We got better church than we've ever had. Amen. We got our act together. I just don't believe the reason so many are leaving is because of the church. And neither do I believe that it's because of the pull of the world. Because I believe that God keeps his promise. And when he says that where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. You can walk through this world and come out sanctified. You have to work in the world. You have to use the world for a certain amount of your time in a day. But brothers and sisters, God will give you strength to go on your job. He'll give you strength to go among the world and come out sanctified. That's not our problem. Our problem is at home. I don't believe it's the world. I just can't believe the problem is with the church, nor is it because of the influence of the world. I am convinced that the problem exists between Bethel and Ai, between the church and the world. This, this is like a, like a three-leg system. If you're going to live for God, you've got to understand you got to have a good church to go to. And you got one right here. You don't need to look any further. You found it. You found the best when you found Life Tabernacle. And the world out there. And then there's the home. Amen. The place between. There's a great neglect in the home today. And my questions to you mom and dads and you overseers is what have your children what does your wife, what does your husband see at home? What do they see in thine house? Have they seen the patience of a mother and the love of a father? What have they seen in thine house? Do they see fighting and fussing and sometimes cussing and all kinds of weird things coming from you? What do they see at home? I am convinced as I've never been convinced before. We're trying to put the pressure on the preacher to straighten all of our problems out. But mister and heads of household, whoever you may be, you have an awesome responsibility to take care of the place between the world and the church. What have they heard you say about the man of God? What have they heard you say about the saints? What did they hear you say when you left the driveway of the church on your way home? What did you criticize? 
that your children heard. Is the man of God always right? Or do you question his judgments and the standards that he sets? What have they seen in thine house? Everybody said amen. amen. I am convinced the reason I'm in church today is because of what I saw at home while I was growing up. I had a good pastor. I had one of the best pastors. Not a name probably you'd recognize, but he was a great man. And he was a good man. He was a solid man. I had a good church. It was a small church, but it was a great church. wasn't any problem with the church. But I think the main reason that I'm in church today is because of what I saw growing up, what I saw at home. Amen. The world pulled on me like it does everybody. It draws on me. The, the AI draws on all of us. There's a draw. Every time you walk out these doors, there's a pull from the world on us. And it pulled on me as a young teenager. But thank God I survived it. You know the reason I believe I survived it? By what I saw at home. I'm going to tell you something. I think our kids get to run a whole lot more than what they should at times. They need to be at home more than what we sometimes make them stay at home. You need to keep them around home as long as you can. Come on, am I all right? You need to, you need to encourage your children to fall in love with church and make home a, a, a haven where they can come to and be glad to walk into it. Amen. But what I saw at home convinced me the most of my decision to live for God. What I saw at home. The things that I talk about the most in most of my preaching, I have noticed, is what I learned at home. A mother who built an altar. I didn't have a father at home. He left, so she had to be the, she had to be the head of the household. But I saw a mother who built an altar at home. At those days, I didn't like those prayer meetings because they were about me. I didn't like it when she called my name, but I didn't understand. But I saw an altar in our home. I saw a Bible open in every room of our home. There wasn't a room in the home I lived in that didn't have a Bible in it. And my mother would walk from one room to the next, and she'd open up that Bible. And she'd read just a little bit and go about her work. She'd go to the next room. And when she walked in the, f the next room, the first thing she did, she'd read that Bible. She wasn't a scriptorian, maybe like some of us are. But there's one thing about it. She taught me to love God's Word. I saw that at home. I'm telling you, the place between is the most critical place right now. I believe in winning the lost. Long after all seven of us had went to bed at night, I can remember my mother right now. Every night we went to bed, my mother would come around and pray for us. And she'd put her hand on us. And we, I, I can tell you more times than once I was supposed to be asleep, but I wasn't like a lot of these kids are. We all do it. We all done it.
Right? Right, kids? Am I right? Juliana, I'm right on it. Mom thought she was asleep. But I, I remember my mother coming in and she'd put her hands on every one of us. And she'd start praying for us and she'd, she'd reach over on every single one. There, was, there were seven of us, so it took a while. And she'd put her hand on us. She'd find a place. She didn't care where it was at. She'd put her hand on you. And you knew when she contacted God, she'd put her hand on you. And all of a sudden, you'd feel that. And she made contact. And then she'd go to the next one and put that hand on him. That's what I saw at home. I'm telling you, it makes a difference, brothers and sisters, what your children and your family sees at home. It makes a difference, mister, for your unsaved wife. What she sees when she comes home, if you're going to win her. Sister, it's going to make a difference the way you conduct yourself when your unsaved husband comes home. Because he can be one. He should be, you should try to win him by the conversation of your mouth. Right? What have they seen in thine home? Everybody said amen. I'd watch her go around and pray over all the, all the doors and windows of the house. Every one of them. My mother was a unique lady. And she'd go around. My brothers, they, somehow they broke off the, the, the latch that went on the front door. And my dad didn't come fix it. And so at night, my mother would push a chair up against that front door. Push a chair up against it. And that's the only thing that kept it shut. And my mother would go around every night and pray over the doorknob. And, all, and then she'd go around and pray for the other door and pray over the windows. She just prayed all the time. That's what I saw at home. I remember one night, we lived close to an army camp. And I remember the, uh, some soldiers came by, and they beat on our front door. And they beat on that front door where that chair was at. And we went in, and we could see that chair just a shaking. And we thought, surely they'd come right on in. And my mother said, in Jesus' name, protect that door. And the next morning, after them drunk soldiers had left, and the next morning we went around and we just took that door and shoved it right open. But God has a way of protecting your house, friend. When you get the place between straightened out. Everybody say the place between. When it was time for church, everybody got ready. And there was never a question, were we going to church? Nobody had an excuse to stay home. It was church, church, church. Amen? Come home from school, you could find mom in, the, in, a, in a room praying most of the time. And when it came to the pastor, the pastor was always right. My mother was a, in the early days, she came from the Columbus Church, and uh, she was asked to go there, her and my father, and then my father left, my mother. And um, I remember one night, my mother was listening to the Bible study. And, I, you know, parents talk a lot about church at home. They should, anyhow. My mother did. And I knew a lot of what she believed. And I remember, I remember my mother on the way home from church, I remember the pastor preached something that my mother didn't believe. She'd 
made very vocal about how she believed, felt about it. And so I was just a kid, and uh, as a kid, back then, uh, we used to stick our hand in the lard bucket and put, put grease on our hair. Now, you'd have to know what I'm talking about. And uh, we had that, uh, we couldn't get the burl cream, so we had to get some lard. And we knew how to cover it back up so Mom didn't know we got lard out of there. And we put that lard and grease our hair. She never did ask us where we got that grease. But I remember one night coming home from church after the pastor had preached something she didn't believe. And I remember, I can take you to the spot on the highway. And I stuck my little head up in the middle of the seat. And I said, hey, Mom. I said, the pastor preached something tonight that you didn't quite believe. And she took her left hand and reached for my hair. And if it hadn't been for that lard, I'd be bald-headed today. And she said, son, I want you to know, she said, I may not have believed it before tonight, but from now on, that's the way it's going to be in our house. I'm telling you, it makes a difference, the place between us. When you can get the house straightened out, and you believe everything the preacher says, when you leave this place and practice it when you go home, I'm going to tell you what, God's going to save your family. What have your children seen in your home? Listen, it's not the neighborhood you chose to live in. That's the best thing, decision you made for your children. It's not the school system you selected to take your kids to that means the most. What means the most is, is how are you conducting yourself? How are you acting? It's what happens at home that will determine the most whether your children carry on or stay in church. Mother came to my office not very long ago and she said, she said, uh, and she wanted to talk to me and so I said, she said, Pastor, I'm so worried about my, my uh, daughter. said she's just not doing very good. I'm just worried that she's not going to make it. And I was sitting there thinking about what she had said to me and I, of course, you know people. And she said, well, to tell you the truth, I'm not doing very good in church. I said, why are you in my office? I said, when you get yourself straightened out, your daughter will get straightened out. When you get prayed through, good Lord, do you all believe in what I'm saying? When you get to where you're supposed to be spiritually, you're going to see a change in your daughter. And can I report to you, she did just what I told her. She got prayed through and the daughter prayed through and they're both still in church. <clears throat> it's what happens at home is what affects the church life and the temperature of your spirituality. Amen. When you get on fire for God, you're going to see your whole house so on fire. A house is made up of things. Wood, sand, mortar, wiring, carpet, furniture, and air conditioning. Anybody can buy things for a house. But a home has character. 
And you parents and heads of household, you design the character of your home. Character building begins at the altar at home. Training comes from the Word of God, and it's best done by example. When they see you walking the talk, and what you talk, you walk. When they see you involved, when they see you at church responding, when they see you following what the man of God says, and you take that from church to home, you don't have to worry about the world. The world will pass them by. And it will go their way. And they'll be, come on church, you know I'm telling you the truth. Amen. You need to build character in your home. You need to build a, an altar in your home. Amen. What have they seen in thine house? What are you allowing to shape the character of your children? Is it things? Are you trying to buy them out by giving them things? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to make sure that they're happy and put a smile on their face because you bought them a gadget or a, a play toy? Is that what it is? What? is in your house. Let me tell you something. You better be careful about what you bring in your house because you could bring the Trojan horse in. And that Trojan horse, when it gets inside, it can destroy, it can destroy moral character of a child inside the home. When I see people that, that, that don't want to go to church because they're so comfortable at home, I'm wondering what at home has got them bound at home to make them want to stay home and miss the house of God. Church ought to be a priority. Listen to me when I tell you this. There's no thing that you can buy that is better investment in your children than seeing them become a true child of God. When it's camp meeting time, get them involved in camp meeting. When it's conference time, get involved in whatever you can get involved in. Let your children see you put the church first. And build that altar at home. I don't ever remember my mother buying me a gift. I've never got a Christmas gift, birthday gift. My mother's never given me one red penny in my hand. But she gave me something more valuable than that. She gave me some character. She put an altar in my life. I'm going to tell you something. It's not clothes on your back that makes your child what it is. It's not all the fancy things that sometimes we give our children that make our children successful. If you want your children to be successful, build them an altar at home. The place between. First thing Abram did, when he pitched his tent, he built an altar. And I'm telling you, the biggest mistake made at home is no altar. 
God's greatest furnishing in any home is the altar. Everybody say altar. Now, I didn't know I was going to preach this. I had something else totally to preach until I got up this morning. This came to my mind. There's a place between that I'm worried about because we're losing too many people, not at church. At church, you feel like living for God until you get out of here and go home. It is the home that's the most important. If you get both legs of the three in order, if you can get the church right and you got the church right, I've been listening to you quote them scriptures and you're exhorting around here, and I'm telling you what, there's not any better leader that's leading the service than this brother Spell right here. He does a phenomenal job. You have good church around here. And you want to thank God somebody wants you to have good church when you get here. But he cannot do it all. He needs every head of every household, every homeowner. He needs everyone that's in this place that's got a roof over your head and responsible for your family to take care of the place between. Everybody said amen. And I came to tell you, brothers and sisters, it's not too late to make a change. That's what this meeting here is for. I still believe if we train our children up in the way they should go, when they get old, they will not depart. Now, I know I've heard people put a little twist on that. And you go ahead and twist it any way you want to twist it and get all your revisions you want to get. But when God says something... God means exactly what he says. Boy, it's quiet, isn't it? But you better take God at his word. Because when you train your children up in the way they should go, that's talking about you at home. I was so impressed here not very long ago last year. Um... We had a young man graduate, and, and when he graduated, he said something that stuck in my mind. And I, I, I won't forget what he said. I remember back about 30 years ago, I got a couple of young people in church. They wasn't related at all, just a couple of young kids. And one of them was about 15, a young lady about 15, I guess. Young man was 17, I believe, and he came to church on an invite, just like you're doing on your invitations. He came to church, and little did I know that both of them would get saved, and little did I know that they'd fall in love a few years later, and they would get married. And I watched this young couple want to do it all right. They want to do everything right. And the other... Last, when the, this young man graduated, he told this story. He said, you know, and I've watched now, they've had three children, three boys. They've got three boys. Those three boys are all growing up. They're all out of high school. A couple of them are going to college. And the last one just got out of high school. But I learned something I didn't know until just recently. And when he got up and told this, 
it struck me because it's so evident what God can do when the home is right. He got up, he said, you know, I'm out of high school. He said, I, he said, my brothers are over here. We all, Matt, they're all, none of them's married yet. One of them's getting close. He wants to get married and, um, and working on it. And they're, they're, it's one of the best families anybody could ever want to have. I've never had the first problem out of mom or dad. All the years they were teenagers, all the years they've been married, they've listened to everything I said, as far as I know, done everything I've told them. And now 30 years have passed, and they're watching their last son graduate from high school. And here's what he said. He said, you know, the reason I believe that I made a success in school and I made it through school is because every morning my mother would get up and pray with us 15 minutes before we went to school or anywhere. A mother took it on her own responsibility to get her children up and pray with them 15 minutes. Now that sounds like a long time, don't it, kids? But the success is there. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's the place between the church and the world that our children need the most attention. What have they seen in your house? Do you want to see your family saved? Anybody here want to see your family saved? Do you want to see your wife saved? Do you want to see your husband saved? Do you want to see your children saved? When you get the place between straightened out, God has a whole lot better chance of saving their souls. I want to get my place between. I want to keep it straight, don't you? How many thank God for the church? And I'm not one bit worried about the world and how bad it's going to get. I know if I can keep my church if I can keep staying in the church I'm in, and if I keep my home right, that God is going to save me and my household. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, let's stand across the building. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's let God confirm his word this morning. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I'm on the Holy Ghost just tugging at some heartstrings right now. As we, as our custom is, step out of our pews and come around these altars, let's let this message absorb in our hearts and our minds. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, maybe as families, you ought to gather as close as you can to these altars this morning. God, help us our homes, Jesus. Help our homes, Holy Ghost. Jesus, touch our marriages, Lord God. Touch us, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God, I love you. I love you, Jesus. More than anything, more than anything, more than anything, Jesus. I love you, 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 Jesus. I'll sing.